to Pastor Brad. Hello all, I'm Brad Kendall, lead pastor here at Faith Covenant Church. We have been in a series the past many months on the body, uh, trying to wrestle with why God gave us and made us uh, these bodies and why they are made in his image. Uh, our interior being is made in God's image, but our physical being is part of being made in God's image. What does that mean for our relationships? What does that mean for a relationship with God? We spent the past few weeks talking about marriage. I thought it would be helpful if we took a Sunday and we talked about singleness and the body. But I am not single, and so I invited someone who is single and is much smarter than I, Kevin Rognes. Give Kevin a big round of applause. Uh, Kevin has been a council member here at Faith. He has been a member. He is a member. Um, and we, he is also a SEM student at Bethel Seminary. He's going to be uh, studying to be in, in ministry, mm -hmm. a pastor. Yep. Like, yes. like some of us. Yes. Yes. You, you get the, the key to the pastor's restroom. Yes. That's all I really want. <laughs> all right. I'm That's the only reason quiet. I'm doing this. <laughs> Kevin will minister now to us. Well, first of all, I dispute the idea that he, I'm smarter than him, so just have to say that. But I'm very excited to be here. Um, just so you know, we are going to be doing Q&A after the sermon. So if you have questions, please text them into that phone number. You can also write it down on a sheet of paper and lift it up, and someone will come rushing to get to you and get your question up to us. But I'm very, very excited to be here. About a month ago, Pastor Brad texted me and said, hey, do you want to talk about singleness on June 16th? And I was like, yes, I want to. I have been like dying for someone to ask me to talk about singleness for so long because I love singleness. And so I was like, yes, I'm finally being unleashed. But it was Pastor Brad, so I had to like play it cool. So I just like texted him. I was like, yeah, that'd be fine. I can do that. But I'm so excited because I love singleness, I love talking about it, and I know what you're thinking. You're probably thinking, oh, if you love singleness so much, then why don't you marry it? <laughs> well, that would defeat the whole purpose of it, right? But you don't hear it very much, do you? That somebody genuinely loves being single, but I do. I love the freedom of it. In the past several years, I've had the chance to do things that I wouldn't have been able to pursue or pursue as easily if I weren't single. I love the option that I have that if I want, I can sleep like a starfish and it doesn't bother anybody. Even though I actually sleep like a two by four like on the side of my bed within a foot of the edge, but that's not the point. And like I have singleness figured out, like I have it down. I can get the fitted sheet on the bed without anxiety by myself. It's incredible. Took a while to get to that point. I've also figured out the exact correct amount of Totino's pizza bites to constitute a fulfilling meal. The answer, of course, is 20. Why 20? Because that's the perfect amount of pizza bites to be filling, especially when you complement it with some Pringles and a tall glass of milk. It's perfect. And then when you go to Cub Foods and get the bag of 120 pizza bites for 10.99, that's six perfectly portioned meals for under $2 a piece. It's incredible. I have singleness figured out. So now, obviously, I have very positive feelings about singleness, but as we know, there are also less positive feelings about singleness as well. I haven't always been exclusively positive about singleness. I've been at several places on the spectrum of feelings about singleness. For example, a few years ago, I asked a young woman out on a date, and she declined, which is fine, I can handle that. But later that evening, I was hanging out with six of my friends, 
And by six of my friends, I mean three couples. So I wasn't the third wheel, I wasn't the fifth wheel, I was the seventh wheel, and one of those three couples was in that annoying, smarmy, lovey-dovey phase of like, oh, we're gonna get married, and like, yay, great. I'm so happy for you two. <laughs> and then the next day I went to a wedding, which was great, like, happy for you, Carrie and Jenny. Actually, I'm happy for them, they're great. It was a fun wedding, but. So I've been to that place on the feelings of singleness spectrum. I've also been in the place of being very happy for my friend that just got engaged, but now I wonder how much I'll really see them. Because experience has shown me that when my friends get married, sometimes they disappear off into married land. I've also been in the place of seeing the small ways that a couple interacts with one another. The little reflexive touches, the instinctive reaching for each other's hand, the way that she makes him feel strong just by the way she leans her head on my shoulder. And I see these things and it's like I've been stabbed in the heart because I didn't have that. I didn't know if I could want anything more and I didn't know if I could ever have that. So I've been in that place too. So there's a variety of feelings to have about singleness and they're all valid feelings to have. And there's also a variety of reasons that a person might be single. For me, right now, I choose singleness freely and happily, but for a long time, I was single because I hadn't found that special person yet. That can be a difficult time in a person's life. And other people are single because they were married, but then they've experienced a divorce or the death of a spouse. These are also very difficult circumstances, and I'm sorry to hear that you've been through that. And I'll tell you now that this sermon is not going to fix that pain. But I will argue that some or even much of the pain that comes from singleness is a result and a symptom of wider problems that we have in our cultures and in our churches. We have been lied to about singleness. We have been lied to, and its effects have been terrible for those of us who are single, and I would argue that the effects of those lies are also present in many of your marriages as well. This is a problem that affects everyone, and we owe it to one another to confront it together. So before we do that, let's take a moment in prayer. Dear Lord, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to share today, and I thank you for the things that you have taught me in my singleness, and I pray that they can be helpful for others today, and that these words can be yours and not my own. And I pray these things in your name, amen. So we have been lied to about singleness. Yikes, that is a very, very big claim for a very small person to be making. But I make it boldly and confidently. So what are those lies? Well, the first lie is this, that marriage relationships are for everyone. All people are destined for this. There is a fairy tale, Disney-approved ending for everyone. Isn't that the underlying assumption that many of us are working with? that most of us will someday get married if we haven't already? Well, I'm here to say that this is a lie. And I don't say this harshly or with judgment, I just say that it's not true for everyone. But where is this lie coming from? Well, first, it's extremely prevalent in our secular culture, the culture outside of church. Romantic relationships and marriage are everywhere, right? It's in our movies, our films, TV shows, books, music, advertising. There is a cultural obsession with it. 
Much of our culture would say that your worth is dependent on whether or not you have a special person in your life. There's a line from a recent Demi Lovato pop song where she sings, you ain't nobody till you got somebody, you ain't nobody till you got somebody. That's a message that is very prevalent in our culture. And that message is in our churches as well. We phrase it differently. In the church, we more commonly only talk about marriage as opposed to marriage and romantic relationships. But in church, there's a common thread that marriage is God's plan for you. There's a sense that everyone will walk down this aisle someday and get married in front of God and everyone. Marriage is indeed a very major topic in the church, and understandably so. It's a high calling, one that is clearly instituted in the Bible by God. It is indeed important, but oftentimes we focus on marriage to the exclusion of singleness. So I'm very thankful that Pastor Brad asked me to be here today to talk about it. In both the secular and the church culture, church culture, marriage is held up as the norm that is meant for everyone. And these messages are reinforced in surprisingly small ways. I'm gonna list off some of the things that I've heard quite a bit as a single person. Number one, don't worry, God has a plan for you. This reinforces the idea that God automatically plans marriage for everyone. Two, when are you getting a date? When are you getting married? I don't know, when are you bringing me a Cinnabon? I don't know. <laughs> Again, this is supporting the assumption that marriage is destined for all. Three, are you still single? Still? Excuse me? Like, whose timetable are we on? Your timeline? My timeline? God's timeline? Where are we at here? Number four, don't worry, the right one will come along. My beloved grandmother once phrased it this way, don't worry, there's a busload of women just around the corner for you. Like, <laughs> like really, Grandma? Like, am I on The Bachelor? That's not really what I'm here to do. But why should I worry? Why is being single an automatic reason to worry? Number five, the last one is from my other beloved grandmother. She once asked me if I was dating, and I said no, and she said, eh, you'll get over it. <laughs> like, thanks, Grandma. It actually was really cute. But over it? Like, is singleness automatically a problem, something that you have to get over? The message in all of this is that marriage and romantic relationships are the norm. And if you don't have that, you're in a sad, disadvantaged, lesser state. Now, the second lie that, about singleness has to do with sex. And don't worry, Pastor Brad said I could say sex in my sermon, it's fine. But our culture would tell us that sex is promised to everyone, that sex is seen as a norm that is intended for all. This is certainly more prevalent in secular culture. Sex is everywhere, and in secular culture, there are fewer rules. Secular culture would tell us that as long as you're protecting yourself and that everyone involved is a soberly consenting adult, then that's all that matters. Go have all the sex. And like before, it's a message that is everywhere. It's in TV, film, books, music, all of it. It's even in our advertising. Think about it. We use sex appeal to sell cars. Let me rephrase. They use sex appeal to sell 2,000-pound metal transportation devices. It's everywhere. And if you're not having sex, culture will tell you that you're denying yourself a healthy activity, 
that you're uptight, that you're a prude, that you're a loser. Think about this. In 2005, there is a movie that came out called The 40-Year-Old Virgin. It's a comedy. And even the title is intended to inspire laughter at a person who's a virgin at the age of 40. And like it or not, the church is not immune to this messaging either. Now, the Bible does indeed uphold sex as a gift from God to be enjoyed by those united in marriage. And so when the, ter- when the church talks about sex, it's a bad thing right up until the point you get married, at which point it's a divine gift from God. So, since the church generally upholds norms of marriage being destined for everyone, then the message to singles or to our young people is this. Yes, sex is great, and since you're going to get married someday, it'll be there waiting for you, I promise. So, who's the one saying that all these things are lies? Am I just a bitter, single little man? How do we know what the truth really is? Well. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about these things and what the Bible presents that's true. So first, I want to put up a slide about the passages that promise marriage to everyone. Uh, Do we have have that slide? No? Oh, we don't have that slide because those passages don't exist. (laughs) They're not there. How about the passages about marriage being healthier or easier than singleness? Do we have? No, we don't have that either. Uh, How about the passages about marriage being an ideal for Christians to strive for? Do we have a slide for that? No. That's because those things are not there. None of those things are actually in the Bible. The truth is that the Bible never once describes marriage as better than singleness, a solution to a problem, or promised to anyone. When we see that this is the truth, we see the harms that have happened as a result of the lie being, of marriage being for everyone. First, it puts marriage on a pedestal as an idol. For years, I idolized marriage. I sought after it. I thought that it would be a solution. I felt like I would be complete once I got married. And when none of those things were happening, I was lonely. I felt inferior. I felt incomplete and depressed. Second, it made me treat singleness solely as a stepping stone, a time of preparing for marriage. Now, to be clear, preparing for marriage is a good thing to do, and if you believe that's in your future, then yes, be prepared for marriage. But if singleness is only about preparing for marriage, it can be a time of lonely waiting and cause you to miss out on the wonderful things that singleness offers. Singleness should never only be a stepping stone to marriage. Third, this view of marriage also puts pressure on married people. If two people are married or getting engaged, and they go into their marriage with some of these lies in place, they can have very inappropriate expectations of marriage. And that can be extremely unhealthy for your marriage. So what about the lies of sex? Now, it is a convincing set of lies. I know what sex is. It seems like fun. Everybody seems to be doing it. I've heard the reviews are very good. I would be lying if I said I didn't want it. And you may think that it's awkward to hear that from the guy in the pulpit, but just imagine how I feel saying this in front of my parents here today. (laughs) Hi, guys. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Glad you're here. Great. But what, but is sex needed? Again, 
the Bible says nothing about sex being a need or promised to anyone. Sex is not a promise, sex is not promised and is not a need. Would I enjoy it? I'm sure that I would. Does my physical body still have hormones or whatever the science is? Yes, it does. But to be frank, I'm only eight years away from starring in the autobiographical remake of The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and I'm fine, actually. I'm healthy. I went to the doctor earlier this week, and my only problem is a vitamin D deficiency, which is a lack of sunlight, not a lack of sex. I'm fine. Is it easy to say no to sex? No, it's not. But I choose to uphold the biblical stance of sex being reserved for a marriage union. And so I say no, and I promise I'm just fine. I run marathons. I'm good. <laughs> so then, what does the Bible say about singleness, about actually being single? Well, first, I'd like to point out that Jesus was single. That's kind of important, right? Jesus, big deal in the Bible. I don't know if you've noticed that. But Jesus was single. He lived the most fulfilled, godly life. And singleness can be a vital and vibrant plan or part of God's plan for a person, and Jesus shows us that. And this was also the case for the Apostle Paul. Paul was single, and God used his singleness to send Paul around the known world proclaiming the gospel. Paul talked about singleness a few times in his writings. For example, in 1 Corinthians 7, 7 through 8, in speaking about his own singleness, he said, I wish that all were as my, I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul is describing singleness as a gift from God. And to be clear, Paul also does talk very highly of marriage as well. And later on in the same chapter, in verses 32 through 34, Paul says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit, but the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Here, Paul is noting that married people have challenges that single people don't have, and that singles, ideally, theoretically, have more opportunity to focus on God. These passages show us the truth about singleness. Singleness is not an unfortunate byproduct of not having found someone. Singleness is not a sad accident. Singleness is a beautiful season of life. Some are in that season for longer than others, but it is a beautiful season of life that God affirms, God works in, and God holds equal to marriage. Singleness is a creation of God. God creates singleness and invites us into it in the same way that God creates marriage and has invited many of you into it as well. Both are incredible, beautiful seasons of life. But both singleness and marriage require a shared understanding. If you have a bad theology about singleness, you're going to have a bad theology of marriage as well. 
and vice versa. Lies about one lead to lies about the other. If you can't look at singleness as equal to marriage or the other way around, then you're going to be elevating one as better than the other. One or the other as the solution or ideal. But neither one is a solution. Neither one is the ideal. Both are God-given seasons, and you can either adapt to the season that you're in or be miserable. Think about Minnesota weather. Minnesota winter, you have to wear 17 layers of fleece or you're going to get hypothermia and die and miss out on the fun things about Minnesota winter. Same thing with Minnesota summer. If you don't wear 17 layers of bug spray, you're going to be walking blood drive for mosquitoes and miss out on the fun things about Minnesota summers. Paul wrote in Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul knows that in any and every circumstance, in singleness and in marriage. The root of happiness is learning to be content in Christ. I will not be content in singleness unless I am first content in Christ, and a married person will not be content unless first content in Christ. That common thread goes through both circumstances. Singleness and marriage are far more alike than we often think. So if all of this is the truth about singleness, what do we do? What do we do? What does this mean for us? So first, I want to address you single people out there. Hello, I am one of your kind. Don't listen to the lies. Take joy and confidence in the season and that God has created this season of singleness that you are in, and it is no lesser or no greater than those around you that are married. You have the freedom to follow God boldly without concern of how it will affect a spouse. And if you're single and don't have kids, how will it affect your kids? You, it is not selfish to enjoy this freedom that God has given you. It is part of the gift of singleness to have this freedom. Enjoy it while you can. Beyond this, I ask singles to acknowledge the challenges that singleness presents. It does present challenges. It is hard. I'm not suggesting that this is a snap fix. So find people to walk alongside you in those challenges. Remember also that there are challenges in married life, right? Married people face challenges too. One is not inherently easier than the other. And then married people, what about you? I also have things to say to you. First, I ask this. Take care about what norms and values you're reinforcing. Remember those things I said earlier about, when are you getting married? Are you still single? Don't worry, God has a plan. Those all do stem from a place of kindness and optimism, and I'm thankful for that. They're well-meaning statements. I would just ask you to take caution in what you say to ensure that you're not upholding norms and values that aren't actually biblical. Beyond that, don't just relegate singles over to a singleness ghetto. 
Now, I'm very thankful that here at Faith that I've been blessed to be invited into people's homes and into their lives and their families. And I've been thankful that I've not just been sent over to the singles ghetto to escape by getting married. I've been at churches that do this, and thank you for not being that church. A single people are normal people that would just love to do life with you. And so many of you already do that very well. Thank you, please keep doing that. And help others to do that as well. And I also wanna remind you married people of something else as well. And I hate to say this, but there may come a point where you're no longer married due to divorce or the death of a spouse. I hope this never happens to you. But it's a sad reality that we have to acknowledge. And some of you are already single for those reasons. Please know this. You are not lessened by being single again. You are not less loved. You are not of less value. God is every bit as present in your life when you're single as he was when you were married. Nothing changes that. So to all of us here as a community, here at Faith, we call ourselves a family of grace. We need to support each other. Singles, we need to support and uphold the marriages around us. As much as I love singleness, I want you to know that I love marriage too. I have been deeply formed by marriage. My parents have been married for 39 years, and their marriage is a testament to and an example of God's faithfulness. Their marriage is a huge part of the man I am today. Marriage is a beautiful thing, and it has changed my life for the better as a single person. And I'm ready and willing to pour into your lives as married people. So now married people, you need to support and uphold the singles and singleness around you. Now I've been afford, uh, supported and affirmed in my uh, singleness by a variety of married people in ways that have been so helpful. I have married friends that see that I live a healthy, fulfilled, vibrant life, and they're not looking to change that. They're not looking to set me up with that person in the office. I have people that help me navigate the challenges and joys of life as a single person. They pour into my life. And together, we navigate both seasons of life, singleness and marriage. We can always give support to each other. We may be in different seasons of life, our lives look different, we have different purposes, but each season is as vital and vibrant as the other. And we are members of one body of Christ, and we can support each other in beautiful and vibrant ways. I'm going to invite Pastor Brad on up to uh, take some questions. Once again, if you have questions, you can send them in via text through the phone number that will be on the screen.